ridiculous. Welcome, friends, to Perfect Stranger Things, a weekly dance of joy for your eardrums. Today, Steve and I cover Papa, the penultimate episode for season four. Nancy gets out of the Vecna vision, Eleven gets out of the Nina project, and Dr. Brenner gets a bullet to the chest. But first, a bromide from your favorite cowbro. That's right, it's Mr. Wilford Brimley. You got a story in here. This is the damn story you ever read. Tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna sit right here and talk about it. Talk all day if you want it. It's the right thing to do. Steve, we're covering Papa, wherein we see the, I think, ultimate demise of Dr. Brenner. Do you think he's dead? you think this is it? I mean, I, I didn't see him get buried. I mean, like, he could have missed the, the most important part of the heart, maybe. At least he wasn't shot in the hair. Yeah, well, he couldn't be, right? I mean, that's <laughs> one. I don't think I don't think a bullet could penetrate it's, it. That's that's it the first and most not obvious be physically answer. possible to shoot. And secondly, I, it's one thing I learned from the film Unforgiven with Clint Eastwood. Um, when there's that conversation about like kind of that dual conversation when like you're face to face with greatness, like <laughs> sure. there's something like almost inherently you can't. Uh-huh. Like you, you could like it, it almost renders the the person indestructible, right? Because there's something that happens psychologically in that moment. So you're saying that Brenner's hair is akin to royalty, is what you're saying? It's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the guy couldn't have had a headshot if he wanted to. <laughs> the rest of him was up up for grabs. This is uh, this is the Robocop failsafe we were talking that's, about. That's his failsafe. Yeah, it's and that's just built in all of us. <laughs> And I think that's probably what happened when, when Eleven tried to use her powers on him initially. If, I think if you look at that scene carefully, he does something where he puts his head, like, not down to look, make eye contact with her, but puts it forward so that all she can really see is, is that uh, quaff. <laughs> and just so the... she tries. Try as she might. <laughs> Good luck. It's the quaff shield. Okay, so Steve, I don't know if you know this, but this is the episode where we jump the shark. Are you prepared to jump the shark with me? Um, yeah, let's go. I mean, okay. So I'm I've, curious. I'm curious to see. Yeah. Maybe I missed it. I mean, so I've identified five storylines in this very long episode, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm using an eight-sided die. Why you might ask? Well, because one of these is a gucher. If we roll an eight, we got ourselves a gucher, and this podcast ends. But I've also incorporated two moons into this podcast. <laughs> oh, finally. These are, uh, these are just uh, adjacent topics that touch us personally. And uh, this was a suggestion to us from one of our faithful yeah. listeners. Do we, um, does, can a moon undo a goocher or is a moon just out there? Uh, I think a moon is a, a separate entity from a goocher. Are you suggesting like maybe we if we roll the a goocher and then if 
we happen to, to roll a moon, moon, you shoot the moon, and then it would nullify the Goocher. Well, you could choose, right? I think that that's... I mean, I don't know all these rules, and I'm sure somebody's going <laughs> to chime in. God bless them if they do. Uh-huh. Uh, but I would think that you could then... Okay, so you you roll a Goocher, and you're like, okay, well, typically this is where it would end, but we know that there are moons out mm-hmm. there. And so if you roll a moon, you have like two shots, right, to roll yeah. a moon, I would think. Okay. You know? <laughs> Good idea. Uh, and then, if you get the moon, you have the option to to use the moon in the fashion that it was intended, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or you can undo the goocher. Right? You send right. the goocher back through the gate, okay. and uh, okay. it doesn't mean this... that the goocher's gone forever. Obviously, like I said, absolutely jumping the shark here. Um... <laughs> but then, if you have two, let's say you roll moons prior to a goocher, mm-hmm. you can make a choice and say, okay, let's just follow the moon, or we can. Um, we can table the moon. We mm-hmm. can put the moon. You know, we can set it aside in the event that a Gucci does come up. We can use it for that. However, if we do not use the Gucci, if the Gucci never comes up, and we go through every storyline. That moon is now uh, rendered uh, useless. That's called bank in the moon, okay. as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. This is the Jennifer edition of Perfect Stranger Things, and she's listening to this right now. You can't bank a moon. What is he doing? <laughs> All right, so uh, just to be clear, we could just read the five storylines and be done with this podcast. <laughs> Certainly could. But I've chosen to incorporate one Goocher and two Moons into this whole scenario, and then, of course, add five other rules about banking Moons and Goochers. <laughs> yeah, and then there's the, there's the Christopher Cross situation uh, where we get caught between the Moon and Goocher City. What would be the best way forward in that case? That's clear. This is the best. Well, I don't know if this is the best possible scenario, but I think the best that that you could do me is fall in love. Oh, I can do that. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and get going. I don't with think this. we have any more time for this podcast, but <laughs> really appreciate everybody listening. <laughs> okay, here we go. What if we made the whole podcast out of a goocher? Okay, we got ourselves a number three. Uh, I always love it when my least favorite thing comes up first because it's sort of like <laughs> could just be a three and a goocher and that's it. Right. Um, all right. This is the Russia plot. Hopper and Joyce. <laughs> <laughs> Hopper and Joyce. Here we are. We're like we wait. We've been waiting for it to redeem itself. I'm I'd love to already. see a goocher and then us try to get a moon twice and just not nothing's happening. <laughs> That's even worse, right? It's Russia, (laughs) Goocher, no moon, no moon. Good night, everybody. Uh, The Russia plot. Hopper and Joyce reconnect while the Demogorgon wrecks shop. Hopper searches the facility, finds a vivisected Demogorgon, and several more in Bacta tanks, and a jarred smoke baby. (laughs) Then the group escapes Shawshank-style, they lean on Yuri to fly them to America. Hopper tries to contact Owens's goons and waits in the Orthodox Church. So, Steve, when we were doing Game of Thrones, you were very disconcerted by the smoke baby that came out of Melisandre's vagina. Yes. Did you feel the same way about this smoke monster? Well, since we didn't know exactly where it came from, I was uh, mm-hmm. I was cautiously optimistic. <laughs> and I am assuming it's a baby, just because there were a bunch of other sort of baby demi dogs in back to tanks, right, right. right? So you think that these are like test tube 
And also, uh, you've got Jack and Hagar in this scene. I'm just assuming this is a smoke baby. <laughs> just, just fully take. I mean, you know, we we're, we're dealing with other dimensions. Why can't we cross over to other series from other networks? Exactly. And we have Back to Tanks in this. Right. So we have Disney Plus in here. We've got uh-huh. HBO Max. The entire landscape's Netflix, a little bit like Hoth. So yeah. yeah. If we could only bring in something from a Hulu original, said nobody. <laughs> okay, I I have questions about this smoke baby because we really didn't get to see. And spoilers, I you know we're jumping ahead to the the season finale here, but we didn't really get to see Hopper sort of find a weapon that could only be used uh, or find a little bit of information that is going to be useful in Hawkins. Well, that's what we assume, right? Because it didn't manifest itself. Yeah, it didn't pay off. In other words, it's and so that's my question. There's got to be something about this particular smoke baby that comes into the final season, right? It has to. I mean, they spent way too much time staring at it. They're just to... staring at it, and then we never see it again, and except for it escapes, right? Right. So it's almost like by the laws of storytelling, it has to come back into the story somehow. Right. And the fact that it didn't later suggests that it's even later than that, right? Right. So I think we have our first theory crafting for season five. Well, and what's interesting there, right, as we're dealing with it, we're dealing with the penultimate episode of season four, and season four is the penultimate season uh, to season five, mm-hmm. which will be the so so we kind of get we got a it's a, a penultimate within a penultimate. Oh, that you just ruined one of my moons. I was just going to have you say penultimate six times. Okay, well we have four more opportunities. All right. I mean. Okay, all right, keep going. Um, so yeah, so there's. Which I think is is part of what um, you know, you know helps helps us hopefully hang on to the uh, the cautious optimism we've had with the Russia plotline mm-hmm. um, because yeah it, there is a sense of like oh so really was it just sort of just a, to, to buy time between the the eventual L Hopper reunion yeah it's interesting it's still, it, it does feel like I mean like and, and because I, yeah, you go through and again spoilers to obviously to, to the final episode, but I mean we're you know because it doesn't and because it kind of like feels like a little bit like a huh, um, and the way that the series or the season ends, it's very clear. It's like yeah, <laughs> there's a lot more to come. Obviously, we know that, and we feel that way probably more so in this season than we have any mm-hmm. prior. Interesting that I think that we both probably agree that this is as strong as season one, maybe even stronger at points in season one. And yet I think fundamentally it is a setup season for the final season. Yeah. Whereas every other one feels like it could sort of wrap up. I mean, you always have the, the horror wink and nod at the end of, you know, that, but then yeah, but it does more. feel like we have some resolution. I mean, usually you'd get, yeah, yeah. we've gotten less resolution in this season than we've gotten in any of the three prior. 
Yeah, because all the other ones could end. Like if they, if the season doesn't get picked up, you you at least go. Well, that was a nice story, and hey, maybe there's more of that story to be told for them. And like, mm-hmm. like some horror does that, right? We like it gives you a hint of something else, and then maybe that's the last you ever see of it, and that's kind of the way it ends, right? Like like you're never really out of the dark, right? And that's fine. But this one doesn't do that. This one is like this one feels like oh, that's we just watched volume two. Well, let's watch volume three. Mm-hmm. Sure. So this is an interesting episode in that we lose we lose Brenner. So one of our big baddies it's taken off the board. And there's a lot of baddies in this. There's uh, a lot season. of baddies, but then of course we reintroduce a baddie from a previous season, and that being whatever. I, I, I guess this is a mind flayer kind of smoke monster. If it isn't mm. the mind flayer, it is at least sort of mind flayer adjacent. It's like a mind flayer skin tag. <laughs> this is—it's a really bold statement to put "perfect" in front of your podcast name. <laughs> I think that we've demonstrated why we have such hubris. <laughs> a mind flayer skin tag. You're not getting this from any other podcast. I can guarantee yeah. you. <laughs> your move, bald move. <laughs> I <laughs> uh, love it. Did you feel um did you feel that Brenner's exit, assuming this is his exit from the narrative, do you think this was a good conclusion to this guy's story arc? I do. I I think that the uh little doggy bark. I feel like the um he's having a little nightmare. I feel like the uh the closure is good in 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 some sense because if you look at him like being killed by sort of the monsters he created, that's sort of how we, what we thought anyway, or at least the monsters that he facilitated uh, in season one. Um, you know, that was all fine and well, we thought. I think that there's, because of the story now with um, the depth of the story of with Elle and Papa, uh, we needed closure. She needed closure, right? And I think that that becomes um, a very complicated ending. And I, I, I think... It was really good that we didn't get a redemption arc from him, per se. Um, and that she got the last word. Uh, I, I think that that was... To me, that was that was fairly satisfying. Like, I think it was interesting. He saves her, right? But... Um, and that's kind of been his MO. He always thinks he's saving her. And then at the end, he's just like, well, I want you to know that, you know, what I was doing. But, like, can you at least, at least agree that, that I had your best interest in mind? And she's just like, peace out, Papa. <laughs> I was a little underwhelmed with this ending. Okay. Um, I think you're right. I think that this is more about what this does for Elle's character than it does for his character. Uh, way back at the beginning when we got the first you know, eight minutes of the show, I was a little bit worried that they were going to try to make him into a morally gray character rather than just sort of a you know fully evil mad scientist. And I think that they did that to a certain extent. You're right. There was no sort of salvation at the end. It wasn't like he like turned his life around in a way that seems meaningful or anything like that. But I and do I think, think that, they, that they, yeah. Go ahead. Well, and I think that there were there were teases to that, and I think that's why I was satisfied. Right. He unlocks the. the I neck. would have been disappointed if one of if if they tried to redeem him in such a way that I I you know forgot about all the st- times when he was torturing children. I'm glad they didn't do that. I do think that's kind of like the rolling around in the dirt in the desert and 
I don't know. There's just something about his death that just kind of fell flat for me. And I, I think it maybe helps me a little bit to hear you talk about how this is sort of a way for L to finally understand his motivations and then ultimately think, I don't have to give you what you're asking for here. I'm, I'm walking away. And that, and that is a real big moment because I feel like the tent, I mean, we see that and it's it's drawn out throughout her return to uh, Brenner is the, this, well, does she have Stockholm syndrome? Does she, is she so desperate for family that really at the end of the day, she is such a different person, you know, cause that's the whole thing is she a monster, she a superhero, but regardless of whether she's a monster or a superhero, she's not like everybody else. Mm-hmm. And the only person that might be able to truly be a father figure for her is someone who understands her, at least at some level, even if it's, accepting her as a monster well and, fundamentally know. he's an abusive father right and of course right she's a teenager at this point i just think it, for him and his character in his own right there was something about him flopping around in the desert that didn't work for me okay see i and i guess the thing that kind of worked for me is because in the midst of all this action and craziness and there, there is sort of a logical buildup to like, he's going to go in a way that's going to be grand fashion, right? That we all could be like, oh, hell is set free. You know, like, mm-hmm. But what happens is he kind of goes out with a whimper. I mean, it's a pretty big deal, everything that's going on around him. All of his grand plans are crashing down around him, right? I mean, he's not being killed by a monster. That he, he's, you mean, that from, from another dimension, he's being killed by the the carnage, essentially, that he's he's brought forth in, in the natural world. Mm-hmm. And and at the end, all he, he's out there in the desert. There's something sort of, you know, poetic about a desert in that case. He's just all by himself. He's alone, uh, wreckage around him. All of his work is basically just up in, up in smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all he, like he can have one last thing is, can one remaining part of his work acknowledge that uh, at least on some level, maybe it was worth it. And he doesn't even ask for forgiveness. He asks for understanding. Yeah, yeah. I've only ever wanted to help you. To protect you. (laughs) Everything I did, I did for you. I need you to understand. Please tell me you understand. I just need you to understand. And she was, I just, it's just wonderful. She's not going to give him that. She's just going to look at him and walk away. Yeah. And that's a real big deal. I mean, to, to not, I mean, it's actually like, it's almost like he came up with a, a negotiation. Hey, can we just do this? Could you just give me, can you just acknowledge the understanding of it? Like maybe you can at least see where I was coming from. And she's just like, no, you know, and I think that there, and the way she does it is not, it's, there's almost a, just a, a hint of sweetness, like almost like there's this touch of like pity. Uh, I think, I think it wraps up pretty nice for me. Um, I didn't feel, I, I think if I had had a Sullivan shoots him himself or a monster gets him or L rips him apart, I don't think I would have had that same, you know, or, or one, you know, somehow mm-hmm. he gets thrown in meets one, you know. I think there's something even more, like even one doing it, it gives him too much of a of a ending that he, that he deserves. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, I think there's something about the loneliness. There's something about like 
none of this meant anything when it comes down to it for you. Like whatever you were trying to do, you won't even get to see how this thing closes out. So the other thing that we were worried about at the very beginning, or at least I was worried about, is that they're going to humanize Brenner in a way that they did in this season. And I think that they did this to a certain extent. Are they also going to render Eleven a morally great character, which I wasn't happy with? Mm-hmm. So she's not the murderer that caused the massacre of Hawkins Labs, but there was that moment where she said, if you try to get in my way, I will kill you. And then, of course, he does try to stop her, and I got the sense that she was going to kill him. Mm. She uh, she levitated him just like Vecna levitates, and then the only thing that stops her from killing him, at least this is how I'm reading it, is that the drugs kick in and she passes out. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if we do see a tiny bit of gray matter in this character. Well, let me let me let me ask you this question in a, in a way. Uh, if she was facing Vecna in that same situation, would you think that she was morally great for trying to kill him? Yeah, no, I mean, I, and I have seen her snap necks before, right? <laughs> right. I'm just saying, it, I mean, because this is it, not it, something. It feels, yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of like, I, I think, I think what's happening in the show is that it's okay to look at Brenner as not a human villain. Sure. Yeah. Okay. If, if we're ta- if we're talking monsters versus superheroes, I had a real moment where I was like, you know, this is, you know, what do you always hear people say? What's the like? People are like Frankenstein was the doctor, not the not the monster, right? But in this case, I think you're like, well, no, who really was the monster in the story of Frankenstein? It is Frankenstein. It is Doctor Frankenstein. So it's just that we associate the monster being named Frankenstein, but the it's it's the the person who is is playing with life and is playing with uh essentially creating ambiguous purpose for their own uh for their own sake right that that becomes the monstrous action and so in this case look there's no there's no vecna without brenner there's no well and he's a monster i mean we've seen him act monstrously in a number of ways right so I mean, he's already got. I mean, he's he's engineering Owens getting getting beat up and basically saying, "Look, I'll kill Owens if you don't do what I say." But she and he's still trying to play it off like he's got her best interest in mind. Like, and then and then that's has his final words to her essentially are like, "Hey, you know, I did this for you," kind of thing. And it's it's mm-hmm. it's like you can't. It, it, this has to run out at some point. You can't just continue. I mean that. And so if you really want to look at it, if that is his his quote monstrousness, he was a monster to the bitter end. All right, let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's agree that he's a monster. If we see Eleven levitate Dr. Brenner, break his legs, and suck his eyeballs out, just like Vecna does, mm-hmm. don't you start to think, that was a little bit brutal. You know, that's that's what villains do in this story. Sure. Uh, so I got that sense. I was sort of, it was almost like she was right on the border of crossing a line there. And she didn't go over, so maybe that's her salvation. We've talked about the theme of salvation before, right? But mm-hmm. um, it was that they did they did a little bit. They've been playing with well, this all yeah. season. Like, is she the monster? Is she the superhero? She realizes she's not the monster, that he's the monster. But then at the end of it, 
she's she's willing to kill the monster, right? And there there's a well, sense yeah. in which you got to become a monster to kill a monster. Yeah, or the question is 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 it morally great to kill a monster that's out there trying to, you know, I mean, is is our mon- at what point are monsters irredeemable? And and if it was a mind flayer, if it was a demi dog, if it was uh, Vecna himself, we would all be like, no, snap it, snap it, snap it, snap it. But because of his gorgeous hair, and because mm, it's the of hair, the, the hair is the hair is confusing <laughs> me. That's right. Because he looks like us, and he talks like us, and he walks like us. Well, he can't be that much of a mm. monster, or he can't be as as much of a threat as as uh, some of these other monsters. And I then so that's where I kind of feel like. Well, and, and there's two things. I don't necessarily... I mean, if she had done it maybe in that brutalized fashion, like if she had gone Vecna style, then maybe there is that moment of like, oh, they're closer than you think, which I think is is good storytelling. And then the other side of it is is that the Duffers maintain that ambiguity to some degree because we don't know what she would have done. Like, she may have snapped his neck. Uh, she may have just held him there. We don't know what would have happened. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the beauty of it is that it says, look, why why should L be any less morally gray than any other person on the planet? I, to to suggest that we're not all morally gray to some degree is I, I think that's a little bit a little bit. Well, folly. no, I I agree with all that. I'm just saying that it's in just that this the more particular you story, have, you are the more the more of a threat you could be. Yeah, no, I, I I'm with you on all that. I'm saying in this particular story, at least with season one of Stranger Things, it was sort of a good guys versus bad guys scenario. Um, that that's the story that they were telling. They weren't really telling a, a story that had morally great character. I get eh, maybe I take that back. Hopper was a bad cop. Hopper was a bad. He was cop. a dirty L, cop. To for your sure. point, L was snapping necks without even wondering <laughs> if that was a yeah. Issue. All right, okay. Breaking kids' arms, man. Okay, was, I I take I rescind it all. It's time for you to grow up the same way that the show has. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that is how we conclude this our friendship. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed this. You just you've seen the friendship run its course. No, uh Steve, that is uh that's us covering the Russia plot, just so you know. <laughs> That's that's how much we were thrilled with the Russia plot, is that we just spent the oh last twenty minutes talking about the Brenner Eleven plot. We just we just filibustered the Goocher. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna roll this thing. We got ourselves a six, which is first moon. It's moon number and one. By the way, if you roll a three again, we still have to do the Russia plot. <laughs> <laughs> There's a helicopter. We and you and I are moved by helicopters. There's more than one helicopter in this episode. Yeah, I mean helicopters like Blue Thunder, and <laughs> I remember even the helicopter in Riptide. <laughs> helicopters mattered, especially in the '80s. So I really appreciate it. Well, TC's helicopter. Oh yeah. Uh, Mal- uh, Magnum PI. Malcolm in the Ma- Malcolm in the PI. <laughs> That's why don't we more crossovers where where Frankie Muniz has a mustache. Number six, we got ourselves a moon. All right, do we want to bank it or do we want uh, to to go for it? You want to hear what the question is first before we bank it? I don't know if you could do that. I think you have to. I think you have to choose to bank. Well, before. I already know I what it I, is. Oh, so what do you want to do? I'm going to read Deal. you the moon, and then you can decide. Is your question dumb? You'll find, you can bank it. You'll find out. <laughs>
All right, this is a question for you, Steve. Have you ever had a feeling of being haunted, seen a ghost, Ooh. or had an encounter with something unexplained? Oh, okay. Now, do you want to answer uh, this? Or you want to bank this? Uh, I don't. I think uh, we're going to play Richard. <laughs> that's that's how relevant I am. I I wanted to uh, to make a Family Feud reference, and rather than going Steve Harvey, I went Richard Dawson because <laughs> I wanted to be. You know, uh, sensitive to the time frame with which we're dealing with. Very good, very very on brand. Uh, so, what is your um, decision? Are you banking this moon? Uh, we're gonna play. Let's let's. We're gonna play. Game. Okay, Steve, have you ever had a feeling of being haunted, seen a ghost, had an encounter with something unexplained? Yes. All right. Roll again. <laughs> this was fun. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> uh, do have you? I mean, you you wrote the question. I have, in fact. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, no, I. So we, there was a house that I that I bought uh, with my family, and I had actually had a dream about it before I ever went and saw it. And when I went to look at wait, the house, this is you as an adult, and you bought a you bought a house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So when we went to go look at the house, and we were looking at the property, and we were like, oh, this is really it's really fun, it's really exciting. I remember, and I get apparently I didn't tell my wife or my kids this until like after we moved out. Um, that I had had, I'm like, oh yeah, when I, when we did the walkthrough, I was like, oh, I dreamt about this house, um, like a few weeks prior. I remember I was standing here. There was actually stairs coming down or there were no stairs where the stairs are currently. Um, and I was going to the door, which is the door that would go into our bedroom from outside and a, um, a cold dead witch's hand touched my shoulder. Ah. And as I turned around, all I saw was like kind of like a silhouetted uh, dark figure and I woke up immediately and uh, and they really wished I would have said that because, <laughs> because because that house because that house I mean Heather had she would wake up in the middle of the night saying that she saw a, a dark figure standing over her and pointing at her to the point where she's like woke me up in the middle of the night um, well can I just can t- I just mention that I don't care how old you are or if you're dead or not dead pointing is just rude you don't yeah. you don't do that even if you're a specter. Can I just Here's the thing about being a specter and pointing. It doesn't matter where you're pointing. I'm freaked out. If you're pointing at me, I feel like you're either threatening me or you're blaming me. If you're pointing to the right, I'm like something's to the right. I'll never go to the right. <laughs> never be telling never me, go to the right again. Yeah, I mean she could be that specter could be like, "Well, no, go that way. You need to leave that way." And I'm like, "I'm just I'm ba- I'm not unless unless you're going to write something down. I'm never I'm, I'm I'm hanging a Louie all the time." <laughs> and and so yeah, and our kids would like wake so up. So you had a premonition like, about the house. It happened in a dream and the house ended up being haunted. Well, the kids said that they felt like bugs crawling on them at night mm-hmm. and um they would hear things. I mean, yeah, okay. So the guy that owned the house before died in that house, all right? That's not but true. But that was, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And then I don't, I mean, I Wait, thought. Wait, did maybe, I, was I ever in this house? Oh, yeah, you spent the night there. Is this the house that we played Scrabble and I got too drunk to go home? Yeah, exactly, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's why we chose See, Scrabble. See, I was probably, I was probably haunted too, but I was too drunk to remember it. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, well, you, you broke the spell because you, uh, you passed out with your boots on. 
And I think I think I slept in your beanbag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's a whole other story. <laughs> yeah, so no, um and so I'm like and I thought about here's my question. Am I the worst father? <laughs> <laughs> you think Heather was more upset about the ghost or with me? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, she was pretty mortified by uh, the ghost, but she won't talk about the ghosts now. <laughs> oh. She'll still talk about you. Mm-hmm. And the night, the night you ruined Thanksgiving. Or- Look, you, you put a Scrabble board in front of me. There's just no telling what's going to happen. Right. There was a live chicken involved at one point that night, if I recall correctly. <laughs> All right. I'm rolling this thing. All right. This is. Wait. You don't have any. any wait. You're not going to. We're just going to find out how what a terrible father I was. Maybe by, that'll by, be by, a uh, moon for a, a, a later <laughs> for another episode. Time. Yeah. Uh, this is the Scooby Doo Gang Part One. Nancy's Vecna vision continues. Meanwhile, the Scooby-Doo gang frantically searches for music that Nancy might like. Eddie holds up an Iron Maiden cassette and yells, This is music. Meanwhile, Vecna tells Nancy to tell Eleven everything she's seen in her vision. Then he releases her. Nancy wakes up in the arms of Steve Harrington. Later on, Nancy tells more of her vision to the gang. Vecna, it seems showed Nancy a future wherein Hawkins was overcome by monsters. The gang surmises that the fourth kill will open up a fourth gate and begin an end-of-the-world situation. They devise a plan to kill Vecna while he is defenseless and by using Max as bait. This answers immediately one of the questions that we had about the Nancy... Salvation song. Mm-hmm. She didn't need one. Vecna just let her go. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I was like, I wanted to see what song was going to save Nancy. So yeah, so that that whole sequence is really vexing because why does Vecna why does Vecna call his own shot? Why why do all of them? Well, I got the sense that he's he's trying to lure Eleven. Yeah, there's something, I feel like there's something else, though. And maybe, you know, this is where, because of how uh, this season ends, um, where I'm like, is, is, Vecna, is Vecna several steps ahead? Did the way that things unfold in the next episode, which seemed to be maybe not working out for him as much, is that, was that part of the grander plot? Mm-hmm. Do you think so? You think he's got all this well in hand? If we take Papa at his word, which is you know, it's not something you not easy to do at this point, right? Well, Papa don't preach. Yeah. Well, well, he did in this one. He said, "You're not ready." He, the Empire Strikes Backed it, right? Um, That's right. There's a lot of Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, she's not ready. She's not strong enough. So if you look at it from one perspective, Vecna having these conversations, getting into Nancy's head, doing these things, but keeping in the same way that we will see that Max uses herself as bait is Vecna using himself as bait Mm. and the kids as bait Mm -hmm. so that she doesn't get as strong as she needs to be. Like, is that a possibility? Right. He's trying to get her to not complete the training 
come to try to save the friends in Cloud City mm-hmm. before she's ready. And maybe, uh, maybe she's not strong enough to face him. Like, it, it's a bit of a rope dope Hmm, interesting. Just throwing things out there. I'm just throwing things against the wall, right? Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I think that there's something to that. Uh, there's also in, the other thing that's interests me about this vision is that number one, they don't show us everything. Nancy has to explain right. what she said. I'd actually rewind it to think. Oh, there's a lot she's mentioning it, yeah. that I that I didn't see in that vision. Um, but she, you know, she's talking about horrible things happening to her mother and her brother and her sister. She clearly doesn't care about Ted. No, at all. I mean, that was she talk about. I mean, wow, there's a. I think we're setting up the villain for the next season. Do you think she even knows Ted exists? <laughs> I'm wondering if only we can see Ted. <laughs> so. so there's that part of it, and then there's the part of it how she, he showed her the future, and we know that they're playing with time stuff, right? Right. Did he show her the future, or did he show her a possible future? Well, it seems like it was a possible future, right? Because when when my understanding is when the earthquake and everything happens, and the and the upside down opens up, um, that's when her family is is whatever specifically happens to him, it happens to him. Hmm. And and it suggests that that, it almost seems like it didn't quite happen that way. Like, we only got a glimpse of it. Unless I, you know, I, I can I need to probably go back and do a rewatch. But I know it's obviously not over yet. But, you know, so maybe she was seeing multiple timelines, like, you know, hmm. as it goes along. But, um, but I got, I almost got the sense that, like, the plan worked-ish. Interesting. Well, yeah, we if we fast forward because to the next see, episode, see, yeah. right? Yeah, we see mom and sister and hmm. and Ted. I want to mention, got an email from Kristen, and Kristen said that Nancy's it would be great as is if Nancy's song was "Journey Separate Ways." Hmm. Now, Kristen did not get what she asked for. She really wanted the separate ways because she thought it would work really well for the Steve and Nancy plot. You know, they still love each other. It is a 1983 song, so that would fit as well. It's a well. banger. It's an absolute banger. It's a, it's a fantastic song. And unfortunately, we didn't get that, so Kristen didn't get that at the beginning of the episode. But we absolutely get that song at the end of the episode. Right, in a very haunting style, too, yeah. which it's all about. And here's the thing that I think is wonderful for me, anyway, is I like that song quite a bit. I find it uh, very catchy, very entertaining. Um Possibly one of the most awkward music videos of all time. Please <laughs> just put a note, stop the podcast for a bit, watch that video. It's incredible. And um, I mean, and talk about earnest. This band is earnest in this particular uh, video. Uh, I, I, what I liked is that, had, like I said, not a huge fan of the song. She was like singing along with it as it was going. Like it was the right song at the right time. For this household. It's a fantastic song. This episode had at least three really satisfying needle drops. Mm. So anyway, Kristen, you didn't get what you wanted at the beginning of the episode, but I hope you enjoyed how this episode ended. Um, and then, of course, the separate ways stuff. Um, sound it, it does it does tie into the group splitting up, right? 
Right. It does. Yeah, exactly. And, um, and I think it kind of also helps too. It sets up like the, uh, just the, the split of, of Hawkins that we're going to eventually oh, see. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I also wanted to denote in the storyline that, you know, we've been noting that the religious themes in this season, I mean, I think we should probably point out that the four chimes of the clock, which mm-hmm. Max recognizes, and the four gates, and then Lucas says, uh, the end of the world. And I, what, what, the, right. what the group does not say, that it, it assumes that we will connect the dots, is the four horsemen. Right. So I, I thought that was really well done. I like that sometimes these things are kind of subtly snuck in, and it shows that the Duffers trust a certain amount of intelligence on their audience's yeah. part, which I always appreciate. Well, and it's and I think this is one of the things that works too is that there are there are elements of um, like of art of, of whether it's you know however whatever the medium where we sometimes don't even realize why it resonates because, but like, whereas the four horsemen thing may be something that while it's not explicitly said, it's part of our, just sort of our, our consciousness. Yeah. It's like our cultural matrix. It's in there somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. So, so even without it, without even maybe making the connection, it's, or the connection has been made on some level to, and that's where the satisfaction of that, like why it works. Right. It's, Mm-hmm. This is all working for me, and I don't even know why, but but it, it's just because it's already it's already in the DNA. I like that Eddie. Uh, we actually got Eddie holding up a Iron Maiden cassette. Yeah, that was dope. That was really fantastic. Um, I, I just to kind of connect the dots here. Uh, what was your feeling about the mascot for Iron Maiden? I always I. I Always knew the mascot way more than I knew any of the music. I don't think I ever listened to any uh, Iron Maiden. Yeah, that artwork was like, you know, for me as I, I don't know, nine year old or whatever, that image of Eddie, the skinless Eddie, is so kind of burned in my mind. Yeah. I always really appreciated that. I always wanted to study the, the cover art. Not a big Iron Maiden guy, but I, Eddie, Eddie is sort of. A paramount figure in my imagination. Well, and I think it was something too that as, as a kid, you know, looking at it because it was it was a representation of something that was you know off limits. You know, growing up in a Christian household. Oh yeah, um, totally taboo, know, right? Undead. It's got to be satanic. But there was all, there's a. I mean, if you really look at it, there's a slight cartoonish quality to them oh, that absolutely. makes them ac- accessible to me. So it really is one of the all time. Great. Like it's not necessarily a logo, but in terms of like a mascot or a, or a figure, a visual aid to, to something like there's no question that's Iron Maiden for one thing. Because Eddie was kind of a cartoon, but we knew that he was not cartoonish. Mm-hmm. It it kind of felt a little bit um, like, you know, you're on the cusp of something that you should not a taboo cultural element. Right. You know, this is for adults. This isn't for me. Yeah, and and also like it made me want this. He was the Joe Camel of heavy metal. I mean, I like, made me want to explore the music just because I'm like, I, I mean, I would love to have like an Eddie poster or a shirt, but like, if I can't name one song, <laughs> sure. man, yeah, sure, I'm gonna be a poser. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna roll this thing.
this is the number two. Number two is Scooby-Doo Gang Part 2. Eddie hotwires a Winnebago as Cretan's Clearwater Revival serenades their trip to the Army Surplus Store. Then Steve and Nancy share a moment as they imagine a family vacation together. Max tells Lucas that she'll be safe from Vecna if she hides in a happy memory. Once at the Surplus Store, Robin falls in love with Molly Ringwald. And then Nancy is confronted by Jason. Later on, the gang constructs weapons, and then they bond. They drive to the murder house, drop off Max and the Sinclair kids to the tune of Journey's Separate Ways. So I mentioned there's at least three needle drops in this episode that I appreciated. Mm. When they steal that Winnebago and Cretan's Clearwater drops... Oh my <laughs> gosh, I was so happy. I was so happy. And oftentimes you didn't do a Credence Clearwater drop unless it was a Vietnam movie. Mm. Oh yeah, yeah. No, and where are they and how are they where are they going and They're going they to the cost, Army Surplus know? store, right? Yeah, so good. So I thought that was fantastic. Wonderful choice there. And then when they're in the Winnebago on the way, it's it's uh, James Taylor's Fire and Rain. Yeah. And it's Nancy and it's it's Steve. They're talking with each other. And there's that line, I always thought that I'd see you again. And I thought, one of these two is going to die. Yeah, it does feel it, huh? It does, yeah. And yet, and we should probably talk about it, Steve Harrington comes through unscathed, basically. Yeah. I mean, of course, he could still die, but I, we, I think we were both convinced that something major was going to happen with Steve by the end of this season. Yeah, I, well, I think a lot of people were. Um, yeah, and so that isn't. I mean, I don't know if we want to explore that now or discuss that uh, on the next episode. Yeah, it's probably you're probably right. You should probably wait for that for sure. But I was thinking. When I heard fire and ring, I thought, "Oh, one of these two is a goner." Total. Yeah, goner. and I, and, it, and I I wonder if all of this is conscious uh, efforts on the the showrunners to to build that because I mean I was I mean at that point I looked over at at Heather and she's like, "Don't don't say it again," because she <laughs> she doesn't want it to happen. She's been she's been just like she's like, "Look, I don't believe it. I don't think it's gonna happen." But then the more I you know like to the point where I'm like almost rooting for him to die so I can be right. Do you have and, birds singing uh, in the background? Oh, yeah. This is fantastic. You got dogs running around. You got birds. It's like I'm imagining you in like a Disney forest right now. <laughs> yeah, it's similar. Well, that's a really good. That's a really. Good. <laughs> that's so nice. <laughs> I mean, first off, do you, do you ever have a relationship with a? Uh, like a military surplus store? Uh, no, but that's kind of how the the flea market, special flea market, functioned for me. Sure. Well, there was a surplus store uh, in Santa Rosa that I, I went to a couple times, and I got myself like a a cool like marine hat, so I looked like um, like a beret, GI Joe. No, no, like a like one of those like little uh, short brimmed uh, mm-hmm. you know green caps, and. Uh, I always liked that. As we could have hung out. I could have wore my captain's hat. 
Oh man, we would have been we would have been something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we would have we we would have been like because we're not really tough, so we've been like GI Josephs. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a gung ho hat you got. Yeah, yeah. So I so I would go in there and I would just be fascinated because it was like it was just you know jackets and you know memorabilia and you know some weaponry obviously and and so this episode to me probably more so than maybe even was intended i don't know like brought me right back to an age and a time because it was that age in time that i would have been going to that mm-hmm, place mm-hmm. and so to see it being used for like you know for what it was supposed to be used for which was you know to you know you're, you're gonna go on some sort of adventure i mean like having a survival knife and all that kind of stuff was so so important to me for some reason. This and, was like uh, a surplus superstore. I mean, there oh, this yeah. thing was enormous, and everybody in Hawkins is getting a piece of that action. I, I love Erica's was Erica's comment about like like wait, we're trying to avoid all these wackos. We're going to go to a military. Yeah, you want to <laughs> avoid angry Hicks? Maybe we shouldn't go to the army. <laughs> I was thinking okay. like you don't all need to go. You could send like one person or two people to go get the stuff. Uh, but just to have everyone load into the Winnebago, that was totally worth it for me. Yeah, then it does feel a little, even more uh, Mystery machine right? Like, now we've really got the Scooby-Doo gang uh, uh-huh. in a proper vehicle. And then uh, the other thing that I, I really liked was when Eddie dons the uh, Michael Myers mask and uh, yeah, that was so, so that he so he could be so he could be uh, less uh, conspicuous. <laughs> sure. um, uh, the music we talk about music, we talk about like the needle drops. It's the score in this particular case, which I always love the score because it always feels properly eighties. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes on some Carpenter vibes, like nice. John Carpenter does his own music and everything. It, there's just there's a little touch of it in the uh, the, the the sort of that. Uh, basic synth sound that that is very unique to the John Carpenter uh, style that that's that's going through it, and it was just oh, it was just making me so happy because it totally was like capturing the like ah, this is Michael Myers' time, and I just thought that was so cool. This episode I felt a little bit underwhelmed with on first watch, and it because I did feel like this is kind of setting up. Moving the pieces, moving man. the pieces uh, to knock him down in the next episode. And I think it's supposed to be uh, the the climax. I think is supposed to be the fact that Brenner dies, and that didn't do much for me. But on second yeah, watch, I guy. feel like I really there were just so many parts of this this episode that really got me. Yeah, and since I, I since the the Brenner death did work for me more, I think that um, that I mean that I mean, the yeah the helicopter scene in, alone. I mean. <laughs> Wow. I like that uh, she's controlling the helicopter. That was really cool. Yeah. That was pretty great. I was was all all in on that helicopter going down. I'm going to roll this. I already have a one. I already have a two. Did we have a four? Okay, this is Eleven and Company, which we've talked about already a bit. Eleven wakes up and demonstrates her Dagobah magic on the Nina tank. Brenner finally explains his history and intentions with Eleven. Riser shows Eleven photos of the Vecna victims, and she worries over her friend's safety. Brenner explains how all of Hawkins is in danger, like the breaking of a dam. 
Eleven projects into the astral plane and spies on the Scooby-Doo gang. Eleven wants to return to Hawkins to help her friends. Riser wants to get her back to Hawkins, too, whereas Brenner thinks that she's not ready. Before Riser can get her out, there is a major shootout between Brenner's goons and Sullivan's goons. Eleven confronts Brenner over his mad scientist bullshit. Brenner drugs Eleven, collars her, and tries to escape with her. Helicopter sniper takes out Brenner. Then Eleven brings down the copter. Mike and company show up, and then they drive off. But before he dies, Brenner releases Eleven's collar and pleads for her understanding. A lot of uh, Empire Strikes Back in this. Yeah. Even down to sort of, you know, lifting the Nina tank. Mm Mm-hmm. You can't leave your, your the, the training's not finished. You, you you could help your friends, but it's really dangerous. All of that stuff is empire for sure. Yeah, no, oh, yeah. So that's that's all, it, and that's I, there's a lot of. I mean, obviously Star Wars throughout the whole series, uh, but this has been feeling like Empire has been especially um, key. I think for uh, for all of them because I mean we get we get Lando references in season one, right? I mean, I've got a question for you about season one. So in 1983, was 11 sent into the astral plane to look for Soviets or to look for Henry? Like that part doesn't get closed, right? Cause she's, she basically is accusing Brenner. She's like, you were using me to find Henry. And he's saying, no, 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 we were, we were looking for Soviets. But she's not convinced by this. Mm-mm. And I think that we are kind of been trained to trust her instincts on these things. Right. So what do you think the... It seems pretty integral to the plot that they were spying on Russians for season one, right? Well, here's here's what I get out of that, right? I get that Brenner has his cake and eats it too. That... Brenner is able to, you know, maybe to get funding and to get all that he needs is, yeah, I'll, I'll use this, what, quote, technology to spy on the Russians. And what that does is it creates now this Russia plot, right? But he's able to sort of justify what his real intentions are, which are, look, I can also search for, I can use this this particular student to help me close this part of my of my, what I really am after hmm. you know so so you, you can do both right I mean and, and so he's like like all scientists with government funding they are using the funding to accomplish whatever the government wants them to accomplish but they're also yeah. so he could he could yeah he can say yeah well we're just spying on Russians it's like yeah you were spying on Russians but was that was that what you because I mean clearly that was not his intent when his this whole project began right so we we don't necessarily know exactly how those dots hmm. connect how yeah. that goes from the project that he set out to the project that becomes spying on Russians but it does to me feels like yeah this is where you get your funding this is how you can sort of cloak it's a cloaked mission altogether because it's it's classified but then it's further cloaked that like hey look you can also get away with doing something that might be a little uh, unsavory with the, with this technology because what are they going to do? Are they going to call you out on it because they're mm. doing something that's already you know uh, not exactly mm. above board here at this? I do. I, I will say that I I was a little bit worried about something like this 
And I think that they've done this pretty well, but I'm generally a little suspicious when you try to retcon motivations mm. into previous seasons that I like, right? So I really like the first season of Stranger Things, and fundamental to the motivations of that character in that first season was we want to use you mm. as a Russian, you know, to spy on Russians. And it's not a major part of it, but I do I, – I get a little bit suspicious when you had a retcon. Stuff. Well, and that assumes it was a retcon and that this wasn't sort of a map, right? Um, and, and we don't know that for sure because, I mean – We don't know that. I, I tend to – I, 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 I think – To me, it, it – could because – well, they're not going to say, yeah, I'm using you to find a monster child that you sent into the Upside Down. I think we like that show less. Because I don't think, because I think we're like, what are you, what? Yeah, you know? so, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, but if you if you go through <laughs> the effort that we have now, it's like, oh, he's spying on Russia. Russia's very, that's a very 80s thing to get behind. And it, and I think it's, I think as an audience, it works for us because he's like, we're like, well, we believe that's what his motivations were. It's like, yeah, that's what everybody believed my motivations were. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I think we can look back and say this was not him trying to destroy Henry. This was not him trying to save Henry. This was him trying to continue to study, is what I think, because he can't let it go. And I think I think Brenner does feel a certain way about like I'm not done. I'm not done with this experiment yet. Yeah, yeah. I, I can't have the mice getting out of the cage. Yeah, and then I keep L because L's my key to Henry. I got to get Henry back. I got to get one back. Right, I'm rolling this thing. I already have two. That, my friends, is a Goocher. Oh, my. Oh, Jesus, man, that's a Goocher. Did we go all the storylines? Uh, Steve, the well, Goocher ends this. There, okay, there, we, we don't still have a back. moon to shoot. We have one moon left to shoot. We don't look back. You're gonna, you're about to turn into a pillar of salt, my friend. You could shoot the moon, baby. That's true. We we did not cover five, which is the Surfer Boy pizza plot. So if you want to, we could roll this again, see if we can get a moon. We risk nothing. Okay, let's shoot the moon. Here we go. A seven is indeed a a moon. (laughs) I can't can't (laughs) prove it to you people, but I was actually hoping for a (laughs) Gucci. Because uh, no, a little bit less editing, but uh, that's how it rolls. <laughs> uh, this is the uh, this is a moon. Um, this is for you, Steve. Oh yeah. Have you ever had a reoccurring nightmare? Uh, all right. So, um, so I when I was a kid, when I was very young, there was a movie that came out called Magic. Do you remember this movie? I do not. So Magic. Uh, so Magic came out in 1978. This movie is stars Anthony Hopkins and Burgess Meredith. How have I never and, seen and, this? It sounds amazing. And Margaret's in this too. Uh, Anthony Hopkins is a ventriloquist. <laughs> You've got me already. Who has, you have who got has, me hooked. <laughs> I'm going to go watch this right now. Who has one of the most grotesque looking uh ventriloquist dummies that gets just it's this over uh, caricatured like version of him and it's terrifying and i remember it's like seeing, a phil collins video 
<laughs> it's yeah only like yeah it's pretty close to the spitting image uh, uh character okay and i remember seeing posters and billboards and just as a like as a three-year-old I'm like that's just nightmarish and i i wanted nothing to do with this film i didn't want it to exist and my mom uh like was gonna go watch it and i was like begging her do not go see this film you, you didn't even want a member of your family to see the film I did not. I was like, don't don't bring this evil upon us. <laughs> I think she even had like the book, like, you know, when they make a book after a movie. And I think it was and like she had to hide it because if I saw the picture, I would just I'd flip out. So I started having recurring nightmares about this this dummy. And they were horrifying. Like it was and I, I would I was afraid to go to sleep because it wouldn't happen every night but when it happened i couldn't get i i, I just i couldn't shake it mm-hmm. and so there were dreams where like he would just be in my room and then he wouldn't be in my room and then he'd be closer so those are the kind of how how it was and it, it eventually uh eventually i had a, a, a situation where i in the dream like it was the first time i ever learned to sort of control a dream mm-hmm. right or to, to navigate in it and i and i i in the dream i verbally berated the, the dummy telling him he was just a, just a dummy he was, just, he was nothing i mean like i roasted him i guess and and i remember in the dream the dummy like actually started to cry and and i told him i never want to see him again and that was the last time i ever uh had a dream about him and that was the first time and since then i pretty much am always pretty much aware of of the fact that i'm dreaming and i always usually can navigate and, and change my my dreams huh. You did the whole Bob advice from season two. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's why. Yeah. It's funny because I remember that being like, oh, yeah, dude, that's. Yeah, I get that. I preach it. <laughs> All right. So tell me what the rules are now. You, we, we nullified the Goocher with a moon, right? Right. Did we keep rolling or is this the end? That's the end. So we could have what we could have done is we could have used the moon for to go to that. Uh, story. Oh part. yeah, but we didn't do that. So basically, we we <laughs> we just made things a little bit more about us. Yeah, <laughs> I like what you've done with this podcast. <laughs> well, I noticed that you you're not answering these questions, so it's really more. About I will. <laughs> this is it's a therapy session. I will tell you, I did have one reoccurring. Let me say one thing about Jonathan. Few months, she's been so lost without you. It's just she's so different from other people and when you're when you're different sometimes you feel like a mistake but you make her feel like she's not a mistake at all like she's better for being different and that gives her the courage to fight on if she was mean to you or or she seemed like she was pushing you away it's probably just because she's scared of losing you just like you're scared of losing her and, and if she was going to lose you, I, I think she'd rather just get it over with quick, like like ripping off a Band-Aid. So yeah, Elle needs you, Mike, and she always will. Yeah? There's a scene where Jonathan is looking through the mirror, seeing Will crying. Right. Yeah, we're going to, this is most like dramatic mm-hmm. uh, personal moment we got. We finally got it. We're going to be like, yeah, let's talk about Steve's uh, nightmare about a dummy, <laughs> about an Anthony Hopkins-esque dummy. I, I got to go see this movie, man. Um, it's interesting. <laughs> I, 
Speaking of cocoons of horror, uh, for those who haven't, this might be something to, to take a look at. <laughs> oh, we um, ought to mention there's a little animator moment in this episode. Oh, yeah, reanimator for sure with the pencil. With the Brenner's the mad scientist, and he's using this pencil as a metaphor, and he breaks it. And uh, we just we were just talking about a scene very like that in Reanimator on cocoons yeah. of horror. Yeah, so I mean, there, yeah, because Reanimator, you've got, yeah, obviously you have the mad scientist. Uh, he's to some degree he's bringing L back to life in terms of her powers. We sure, see some restorative. We see some restorative powers in the next uh, episode. Interesting. Um, yes. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, we should okay. get, we should save that. All right. So I feel like I think I need to change my tune on whether or not Will is into Mike. I just think he's worried about losing his entire friend group um, if he comes out of the closet. Because we finally got to see the painting, right? Right. But he lies and says it was commissioned by L. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's a half lie, or I'm not sure if it's a... Maybe she... Well, L specifically says in the very first part of this season that she's like, he's working on something. I don't know what it oh, is. That's I think right. it's that, I'm glad you reminded me of that. You're right. So he says it was an L commission. So that heart on his shield is sort of doing a lot of heavy lifting for this. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So anyway... I'm not sure if he's into Mike or not. I just feel like maybe he feels like there's something about me. It's a secret. I feel like I can't tell anyone. I don't think Mike's going to understand. And if I do, I'm going to lose my best friend. Yeah, and, and the complexity of that goes even further, right? Because, I mean, if, if whether he's into Mike or not, almost immaterial he's being truthful is like if there's one person who i do believe that would be on my side or at least be able to mm-hmm. see me for who i really am it's mike because mike does that for l mike mike is able to see past see past what maybe some people would see as making her a freak and he sees that as special and sees mm-hmm. her for what she really is so if there was anybody here in this group that would have the the easiest time seeing that it, it would theoretically be Mike. So so the the feelings he may have for Mike they don't even necessarily have to be uh, romantic in nature because there is a closeness and a trust that he is desperate to get because he sees it uh, being manifested for Mike's relationship with L and what that does for L and he would he desperately wants that that sort of uh, um, acceptance. And, yeah, this uh, is about. You know, I think this is more about acceptance than it is about attraction. Um, that's how I'm reading this now, and I'll be right. honest. I think I have a higher opinion of Will now that I know he's not into Mike because mm-hmm. I don't like Mike. I don't think anyone should be into Mike. Right. I forgive L- Eleven because she was raised in a test tube. <laughs> I mean, I want I want Eleven to be happy. If Eleven wants Mike, and I, I want her to have Mike, I just want to say, Will Eleven, look around. Just just look around a little bit. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, she doesn't get. I mean, when she gets out, when she's out with people, she's either you know getting you know milkshakes thrown on her, or she's getting her hair you know shaved off. And, and <laughs> Mike's the and, the one guy that's not throwing milkshake or shaving her head. Yeah, so so for all for everything that Mike you know isn't, <laughs> there's also some good things he's not as well. Okay. I mean he's L's L's not, she's not she's not 
doing great. <laughs> you know? All right, my recurring dream when I was a kid is really, really short and sweet here. There was an old-timey, like, 1930s movie villain with, like, a mustache that kind of curled up at the ends. Mm-hmm. And he tied me to the top of a ladder. Oh, my. And then he kicked the ladder out. And I was falling, tied to a ladder, falling toward the surface of a lake. And I knew that if I hit the surface, I was going to die. And I never hit the surface. Uh, But I had that dream over and over again. Wow. So both of us, both of us kind of had a media, I guess, media impressions. Because you had, you had a, a horror movie impression, right? That I had never seen, right? And my my villain was like out of a, like a silent film or something. Yeah. Huh. I was thinking, you tell me what you think about this. I was thinking we should split up the next episode into a two-parter. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, there's obviously a lot going on in there. I mean, there's, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's longer than most long movies. We'll figure this thing out. Anyway, two, you can look forward to two more Perfect Stranger Things episodes to finish off this season for sure. Uh, looking forward to it. And Sleep well. We're <laughs> Sweet dreams. <laughs>